to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 51st episode, it's the return of Colin Mulcairn. Along the way, we discuss ludonarrative dissonance and headcanon, and the joy and bliss that comes just after desperately needing to pee. We'll finish the show with a signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. So for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? My name's Colin, Colin Mulcairn. I'm on Smash Fiction and other stuff and still don't really know the answer to this one. I mean, I'm a beautiful and unique snowflake because as previously established, I'm casually crushing it. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly are. And eagle-eared listeners of the show will recognize Colin from a previous episode. It was 30, I believe. Yes, from episode 30. That's the one. I was happy to get a nice round number. I felt important. Yeah, and we're coming up on like episode 50, and I have like nothing special planned. So yeah. I'm just like, wait, when I get to 50, should I say something? Like, Should I do a thing? But yeah. Although I think the actual anniversary is going to come on like episode 49 or something. So it's going to be one of those things where it's like a completely unremarkable number. Correct me if I'm wrong. You had someone interview you about your math view stuff right that was episode 15 yeah it was just before the break episode 15 yeah i thought so i had a vague inkling of that happening i just didn't quite remember but yeah so i was like that's the sort of thing you do but i mean you already did that so (laughs) (laughs) yeah i could and the thing is i've thought about doing another one but i'm just like that was a pretty comprehensive one that was like a good hour and 40 minutes that one (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Partially because I had Margaret H. Wilson interviewing me, and we could both talk a good game. So that was Yeah, fun. no, she was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And yes, I'm hoping to get her on again soon, although uh, she's also the busiest person on the planet. So <laughs> it's really one of those things of being like, right, do you have an hour at 7 o'clock on a Thursday, potentially on a Friday, may- maybe like a Saturday? We'll just we'll play it by ear. <laughs> yeah. It's like, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, it all works out. So, Colin, since last we spoke, you've gone back on the Smash Fiction podcast. You've joined Twitter and are actually using Twitter now. Sometimes. Very, like, I just, I don't need more social media. I don't need more ways to waste my time. But, like, I just got dragged in. I had some Smash Fiction listeners were, like, tweeting about me and at me. And I was just a little egg. I just reserved my name a long time ago. And then I came up with a particularly clever meme that I enjoyed. And I just had to post it. And, you know, Twitter is the place to post your memes. So I got drawn in, kicking and screaming with every tweet that I send out it was just one of those things where it's like i think i added you and then after a little while i'm like oh colin doesn't actually use twitter all yeah. that much and i think i unfollowed you and then out of nowhere you respond to something and i'm like oh, colin has a picture now colin's joined <laughs> <Yeah>. us <laughs> yes one of us yes indeed <laughs> It's been a fun few months or however long it's been since I was on. For quite a while, the only alcohol that I've had in my house was stuff that I bought to make crystal gems because, of course, I had to. Oh, wow. I don't drink alcohol very much at all. And so, like, whenever people come over to my house, I was like, like what do we have? I was like, um, we have, like, tequila, like, blue curacao, simple syrup, <laughs> like, <laughs> just, like, the most random combination of ingredients. And all of the alcohol got drunk, and I would just have all of the other things that aren't alcohol that you use to make that, and, like, and no alcohol, <laughs> so. <laughs> That's also the reason why I, I always end up with, like, multiple bottles of stuff that I hardly use, because, like, yeah. someone will bring it. And I have a bottle of things. I like using elderflower liqueur, because it's, it's, like, a lovely taste, but a little goes a long way, and I've been nursing yeah. that thing like a baby bird for maybe, like, three years. <laughs> Just like chipping away. I think I'm down to like three quarters of the bottle left. If you want like a new, do you do cocktails for these new ones? I will be, yes. Okay, because one thing you could do is give me a cocktail that I can use my leftover ingredients, like but a different thing. <laughs> sure. Like a remix. <laughs> totally. That's an easy one. I actually yeah. did it for Chris Sims' second episode because I know neither him or Aiden are big drinkers. I'm like, what do you have in the house? And they're like this. I'm like, cool, I can work with that. I'll be back in a minute and work something <laughs> out. It's like uh, MacGyvering. Where it's like, all right, right we have right, this, right. we have this. If we buy one thing, 
that will cost a dollar fifty at a store. We can make drinks. All right. <laughs> this comes from my early days in university, where at one point I used blue curacao and kiwi lime Kool Aid to make a cocktail. Oh, that's fun. So hey, needs must when you're in dire straits. Yeah, as they said in Mad Men, you need three ingredients for it to be a cocktail, because two ingredients is an emergency. <laughs> I like that. Although I got so mad because in certain cocktail books that I get where they'll be like, oh, 100 recipes in this book. And then some of the recipes will just be like this drink and a soft drink. And I'm like, that's that's not a cocktail, guys. That's a highball. It's like you can't just say, oh, fernet and peppermint tea cocktail. I'm like, okay. And it's like, take some fernet brunca and pour in some peppermint tea. (laughs) Motherfucker, you just wasted a page. That should be a footnote in the bottom of another recipe saying, hey, if you have this left over, it also goes great with tea. Sidebar at best. Yeah. Most recently, I got a book from a very popular cocktail bar in Melbourne, which is called The Everly. And it's one of my favorite bars like on the planet because you go up like a dark oak staircase and you come in and it's all black and white tiles on the floor, like in like a checkerboard pattern. And everyone is dressed up in like, you know, ties and braces and stuff who works behind the bar, but not in a hipstery way, just in a... No, there's a dress code here for us to work mm-hmm. here. And you turn up and there's maybe like two or three specials that they're making that week. And the rest of the cocktail list is what's in the bartender's head. Oh, cool. Fun. So he'll just like turn up at your table or he or she. And then we'll just be like, all right, what do you like? And what do you feel like? Yeah. And I'll be like, uh, cool. you know, I'm thinking like something with some gin, maybe something a little fresh. Okay. Are you adverse to rosemary in your drink? No. All right, cool. I'll be back. <laughs> it just like comes back with this thing. And I'm like, okay, what's this? Oh, it's got this and this. And then we added a little bit of this. It doesn't have a name, but I think you'll yeah, like it. That's exciting. That's my kind of place. It's like discovering uncharted planets and like being the first to name the species you encounter. Yep. And for someone like <laughs> me who already goes to bars to crib recipes, yeah. to hear them describe how they put it together or watch them make it, it's like handing me the nuclear launch codes. i'm just like frantically in my head like scribbling it down on a cocktail napkin or committing it to memory and then getting home and being like right i can do this uh most of the time i can't because they're very good at their job (laughs) so colin when i initially invited you back i told you that these return episodes are a freeform discussion about whatever we want to talk about but unfortunately you are unable to go into a podcast without preparing hugely yes (laughs) so i'm going to ask you to tell the listeners the topic that you told me before we started recording, and just let it sink in. I wanted to talk about something called ludonarrative dissonance and ludonarrative harmony. It is an idea in game design. I actually came across this idea like by myself while playing a lot of games, but I didn't have a name for it. I just kind of called it like that thing. And then I later discovered that someone else had come across this idea. And they were going to say someone else had already trademarked that thing. <laughs> Well, sort of, but yeah, it like someone had written about it before. It's not talked about a lot like in game design, and I think it's really interesting and really important, especially when you're doing games that have a lot of narrative in them. Mm-hmm. I first noticed it when I was playing this game called Smash Up. I may be getting the rules slightly wrong in it, but basically you have these like units that are these cards, and you're fighting over these bases. And if one person gets enough like cards in a base, then they can take over the base. But there's also like a minimum number of units that have to be in it like combined from both sides. And so like I was playing it and there was this base and my opponent had a lot of cards in it and I wanted to play a card in it, but they had more than I did. And if I played the card, it would make it reach the minimum number of cards that it needed in order to score. And then they would score. So they would get the base and then all the cards would be cleared away. So I shouldn't play a card in it. But the fiction of the game is that I have my units and I'm trying to take over that base. And so me not playing this card violates the fiction of the game, which is I want to take over that base. How do you take over a base? You send units to it. But there's no reason for me to do it because there's this like arbitrary game thing that's getting in the way of the implied narrative of the mechanics. Another example is like in Magic the Gathering, there's equipment cards that you can like put on creatures and there's one called Swift Foot Boots and it's boots and it can go on any creature even if they don't have legs. You can put boots on a snake. (laughs) (laughs) And and the snake is now wearing boots. Oh, that's going to be one sad snake. Yes, exactly. With a boot on its head and a boot on its tail. Just going, ugh, why did I do this? It was this idea and I wanted a way to talk about this. I was like, when you have a 
game, like a video game or a card game or any kind of game, the things that arise out of like the implied narratives of the way that the mechanics interact and the sorts of decisions that you make as a player and the way that it feels when you play it should line up with the implied narrative most of the time of the story so that you can tell someone a cool story that came out of the game and it also works like a cool story like in a movie or something and like the snake that wears boots and gets faster because it's wearing the boots doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I wanted to bring up an example of a game that I think does it incredibly well at like all levels and that's XCOM. Have you played XCOM ever? I have played XCOM Enemy Unknown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cool. first one. So you, yep. you'll, you're familiar with what I'm talking about it. Yes, I loved that game. It ate my life for a solid three months. Right, mine too. It's so good. I'll put it to you this way. Like you're playing XCOM and for those of you who don't know, you're like in charge of this organization that's like supposed to be fighting aliens, but you also have to deal with these like political things of like helping out countries. And if you don't help them out enough, they like pull their funding out of XCOM. And if enough countries pull out, then XCOM falls yeah. apart. You lose resources and you can assign countries certain tasks and they won't do those tasks unless you help them. So if you go to North America to have your battles a whole bunch, then China will get really mad at you unless you go and help out China. Because in story, you're essentially letting their country burn and only helping other people. And so, of course, they're going to leave. For those who haven't played it, XCOM is like kind of sort of a like three quarters top down isometric strategy game. It's turn by turn. And you've got your little assault guys, which the game encourages you to make look like and then name after yes. your friends, <laughs> which means that you're not sending Joe Blow or BJ Blazkowicz out to fight an alien. No, you're sending your friend Dan Bins, who looks just yes. like Dan, and <laughs> you know, to peek around a corner and maybe get his head blown off because... In XCOM, when your characters die, those characters are dead, and you don't get them back. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And it feels important because it's lining up with reality. You're commanding these troops, and if they go in and they die, then you lose them forever, and it could be a good soldier who you lose forever. The specific example that really stood out with me about XCOM is there's a bit where like one of your scientists comes up to you and says, like, hey, you know, it would really help us out if you could capture one of the aliens alive. And you're like, okay, cool, how do I do that? And if this was another video game, it would then like cut to a mission, and this mission is about capturing an alien alive. But in XCOM, they're like, well, we need a holding cell, and we need like a stun weapon. So you need to research how to make the stun weapon and you need to research how to make the holding cell. Then you need to make the stun weapon and make a holding cell. And then on another mission, you need to equip one of your people with the stun weapon. And then they need to use the stun weapon on an alien. Then they'll capture it alive. This is all done in universe with the mechanics. And then you have to weigh like, okay, we have to build the holding cell, but that costs a lot of resources. We kind of want to be working on this other thing, but I need this holding cell. And you feel so like the director of XCOM being pulled in all these different directions. Yeah, and then when you equip the stun weapon to one of your characters that character is then lacking a secondary weapon exactly and that stun weapon can only be used at close range right which means it's you know detrimental to give more than one stun weapon to your troops because everyone that you give is hamstrung in that way and can only do that thing so then you go okay well i'll only give it to one but then that means that person is then in jeopardy for the rest of that mission because they are hamstrung with this weapon that only works at close range and only works for one purpose. Right. So you could be halfway through your mission, lose your guy with the stun gun, and have to bug out and abort. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also the thing like in the mission, you see there's an alien over there and you have the stun gun. And you're like, I can use the stun gun, but it's not a sure thing. And if I go over there and it doesn't work, and my guy's kind of low on health, then he's going to kill me. And I have a grenade, and I could just use the grenade, and it would be a sure thing, and he would die. Do I want to risk my guy, who's named after my friend, you know, <laughs> to, like, capture this? So, like, at every level, you feel like the game mechanics are lining up with the, what the narrative is supposed to be. And I really love how it plays with things like line of sight. Oh, yeah. Because you could be, like, and the thing is, listeners, if you think this sounds like a stressful experience, you're right. XCOM <laughs> is incredibly stressful. You'll find yourself, like, you can move, I think it's something like 10 spaces you'll find yourself moving by twos and threes because that will get you sure cover yeah and hunkering down and being incredibly careful with your team because if you try and play it like you're rambo every one of your guys will die yes <laughs> and, and then you'll lose the game and so it's like but then halfway through a mission because every mission is like procedurally generated and different you can have another force of bad guys flank you and then just turn up yeah. And then it comes from, oh, I'm, you know, executing an objective to I'm just trying to get out of here with at least one person still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the whole thing can go bad in this space of one turn. The ones that are the most crazy are the ones where you're like rescuing the people who are getting like like harvested when they're like attacking mm -hmm. civilized areas. Like those ones, I just always lose people on those. They're just I just couldn't like But yeah, I'm just curious. So talking about this idea of so Ludo narrative, it's like, you know, Greek Ludo means like play, I think something like that. So Ludo narrative harmony. No, no, no. Ludo was the big monster who yes. yelled at rock. 
rocks and you <laughs> have you encountered any examples of lunar narrative dissonance or lunar narrative harmony in games that you can think of well i can think of it in a sort of an emergent way because i think i told you recently i've been playing feng shui which is yeah. a tabletop rpg based on hong kong action movies and it's a lot of fun and the thing is in a way that and i think this may not be a perfect example because i set up my character as a scrappy kid archetype so think short round or you know one of the goonies or something like that, but aged a little older so I could actually fight. And so I thought of him as like, you know, short round when he hits about 16 and he's a bit yeah. of a little shit. <laughs> and so I had pl- originally started playing him as a fighter, as someone who runs in and fights. And then very quickly, I found that just by nature of being, and I'd written him up as being pure lawful good, as being a reformed street hood who had seen the light of day and like become a kung fu teacher to explain my ridiculously high fighting stats. Yes. So I was the sidekick to basically if Angela Bassett was Jackie Chan. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Angela Bassett from Strange Days specifically. But in the playing of it, and because all the other characters with which I was surrounded were so serious, I found myself making more jokes. I found myself doing sillier things. I found myself stealing everything that wasn't nailed down. <laughs> like honestly, to the point where it's like in fiction, I would have a bag as big as me that would clank wherever I move and I took a penalty yes. to stealth. <laughs> and so... It was one of those things where in the emergent gameplay, as I became a bit more of a wisecracker and a thief and a support character as opposed to a fighter, my GM, who's my friend Alex, decided to, okay, I'm throwing in more puzzles where, you know, random items are useful. Nice, nice. Which then encouraged me to steal more because I needed something that would be useful in that scenario. And he started building enemies that were harder to hit. So like there was a shadow duplicate of me who was just as hard to hit as I was. So I needed to be more creative and come up with more crazy shit. So it was sort of us working off each other in that way. I'm not sure if it's a perfect example. Uh, No, that's just more about like, (laughs) it's related, but yeah, that's just like, I guess... RPGs, emergent play, kind of like... And I mean, I guess... if Because it's not really driven by the mechanics, is it? It's more of just like... That's true. Dis- it's more like discovering in play what the story's going to be, which is like just the awesome thing that RPGs let you do. That's why they're great. But yeah. <laughs> so you've been enjoying Feng Shui so far. I actually own the book for Feng Shui 2, but I haven't, I haven't mm-hmm. played it yet. It, it looks really fun. So Yeah, it was Feng Shui 2 that we were playing. And yeah, yeah. it is fun. Although we were playing a modern game, so a lot of the, the magic and stuff didn't come in as much. Mm-hmm. Are you doing any of like the time travel stuff or you're just doing like purely? No, we're just doing a purely modern one. I mean, it was, I think it was, it was in a modern building. It was sort of a, the raid scenario where we had to work our way up a building. And Alex being the amazing GM that he is, like drew us maps and like the kind of maps that would be like scribbled by a collaborator on the inside. And we found them in a locker. Oh, cool. And it had post-it notes. And if you lifted the post-it note, you realized there was more information under it. And oh, that's great. It started off with a sentence to the effect of, you have to stop the sarcophagus bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's attention. Yeah. But no, let's yeah. talk a little bit more about ludonarrative dissonance and harmony. Okay. Um, yeah, the only other example that I had of a ludonarrative dissonance that I noticed recently was playing Overwatch. Are you familiar with Overwatch? I'm familiar with, but I have not played. Yeah, so basically it's this first-person shooter. It's character-based. All of the characters are really wacky and over-the-top. It's kind of like Super Smash Brothers if it was a first-person shooter and if the characters weren't from pre-existing media. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Is it Battleborn or Overwatch that's from the same company that made Borderlands? I think that would be Battleborn. Okay, I they both came out like simultaneously yeah, so they're, they're similar in some ways but yeah no um overwatch was made by blizzard oh right yes the thing about overwatch it has this story about how there was like global crime fighting force that disbanded and now mm. they're kind of like getting back together but it's not really that clear i mean i'm sure it's it's out there people are going to yell at me because i don't know all the specifics of the detail but it has like nothing to do with the gameplay basically you like pick a team and like in fiction there are some characters who are good and some characters who are bad but it like doesn't really matter you just kind of pick them and then you like fight each other in big groups and you shoot each other and there's no explanation given for why they're all fighting each other in this way like over the series of these battles it's not like there was some secret war type thing going on where there was like cosmic forces that drafted them into teams and made them fight each other it's just kind of like there's these characters in the story and then they all just kind of fight each other it's like <laughs> but wait these guys are, are on a team and like the story's all about this team over here all being together and this team all being together but then that has nothing to do with the gameplay so <laughs> as you were saying that another one that comes to mind is dead space oh yeah i only played the second one but the whole thing about dead space is that you're alone on a space station essentially dead space is a very scary game you are never not in danger yeah in dead space 
like you can turn the corner and have like a wall come alive and eat you. What makes it different is that the gameplay then supports that fear because you're like, okay, I'm going to do my best to pick safer options. I'm going to pick weapons that let me attack from a distance. I'm going to build up my suit buffs. And additionally, because Dead Space is also incredibly immersive, rather than having any kind of heads-up display, you have a light meter on the back of your suit. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, that's really cool. I've seen some of the footage of that. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's third person. Like, your HUD is on your back. <laughs> it's so cool, yeah. Yeah, and so it's like you can, you can tell that you're hurt because your little bar is down to its lowest segment and it's flashing. Yeah. And your suit kind of, the motion of the suit changes a little bit so that it's a little more janky. And the idea being, oh, if that gets hit one, t- one more time, suit containment is lost and you're dead. Yeah. However, that did also lead, like that level of ludonarrative harmony did also lead to me not finishing Dead Space 2 because yes. it makes it yes. incredibly punishing. That's kind of how I feel when I played like Five Nights at Freddy's or something. It's like, it's too good at doing its job and it's like not even fun. Because like in Five Nights at Freddy's, you're like playing a security guard and you have to watch these security camera footage and like not get eaten by monsters. And it feels like a job. It feels like work <laughs> when you're playing. And I'm like, God, this is such a pain in the ass. I feel like, and then you just get eaten by monsters. So it's like a job that that's also scary and like not fun. And I was like, I can't play this anymore. <laughs> and also so, you don't get paid. <laughs> and you don't get paid. Yes. Worst job. Bioshock, which is kind of similar. I actually had a bit of a problem with because the way it was sold and like the way I thought it was going to be, I thought there was going to be more like scarcity to it because you're supposed to be like kind of like barely scraping by and like mm. getting chased by like these scary, you know, mutant people and like, you know, down to your last bullet and like, but like it quickly gets to a part where if you're good at it, you can conserve ammo. You never really are running that low on ammo and you kind of can get a surplus of resources pretty quickly in Bioshock, at least in the first one fairly early on. And I never really felt that threatened in the way that I thought they were going to, because it didn't really work as like that survival horror thing that they kind of wanted it to be. I don't know, maybe yeah. I need to up the difficulty or something, but like, yeah, I think especially in those first few levels, that they really played on that because you'd have your wrench which is your main weapon which never runs out and then you would occasionally find like a pistol and that would have like eight bullets to it and i thought that was really cool i liked that a lot yeah yeah i remember like playing the first four levels and like killing literally everything with my wrench because the wrench doesn't run out yes (laughs) bang 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 click 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 whack 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 but then you eventually become like a friggin' superhero. You're a reality warping, bee throwing, ice blasting <laughs> juggernaut. Throwing bees. Did we discuss? We discussed. I think, I think we, we actually did talk time. about Bioshock last time. Yeah. Yeah, because we talked about bees and how I thought the word bees was funny. And every time <laughs> pe- the word bees is used in a joke, I think it's funny. And I still do. It still works. So bees. that is all. <laughs> the other topic I wanted to talk to you about was the idea of, of headcanon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Headcanon is something that's very fun. And that's another one of those things that, like, much like the idea of ludonarrative dissonance, was a thing that, like, I knew of growing up but didn't know the word for. The biggest one from my childhood that I want to share with you is in the uh, first Super Mario Brothers game, the villain is King Koopa. Mm-hmm. And in the Super Mario Brothers movie, the villain is King Koopa. And in all of the subsequent games, the villain is Bowser. In like in the American releases and stuff. And so the way that me and my friends like figured that out and like reconciled that was that Bowser was the son of King Koopa. And he was the oldest of the like the Koopa kids, like, you know, Wendy mm. and Ludwig and stuff. Bowser was the oldest child. And Mario kills King Koopa in the first Super Mario Brothers. And then like throughout all of the rest of them, Bowser wants revenge on Mario because Mario killed his father. <laughs> Headcanon is something that, you're right, a lot of us have these thoughts, but didn't have the name for it. The Marvel example is the No Prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, the No Prize would be a prize that would happen in the letter columns of old Marvel comics. If someone would write in and notice an inconsistency, like, let's say, the thing from the Fantastic Four not being able to drive a car, but earlier in another issue, he had been able to drive a car. It wasn't just pointing out something wrong that got you a no prize. You had to come up with an explanation. So you had to say, well, in the time since Ben Grimm drove a car, he has been regressed back to his human self and back into his thing self. And also he was hit in the head three times. So it may have been impact-related memory loss, or it could have been trauma from having to shift between forms. And if you got it right, you were sent a no prize, which was an empty envelope. Hooray! (laughs) Because there is no prize. (laughs) I'm curious, do you have any weird, like, headcanon things like that? Like, sort of, like, things you'd know prized as a child? Less so as a child and more as an adult. Because I find myself, like, just even in conversations like this one. I got into a conversation on Twitter with a couple of people just involving weird stuff about Transformers. 
because the amazing comic book series Transformers More Than Meets the Eye is the most nuanced take on Transformers possibly ever, right? What it does is it takes certain things like the fact that some Transformers, five of them can combine into one big Transformer, Mm -hmm. right? And in sort of the story Bibles, it's meant to be that, okay, you have to have five people that are essentially drift compatible. Yeah. They have to be close enough in personality that they can work together. Otherwise, you end up with someone with a mild case of schizophrenia or dissociative identity disorder. And there's a couple of particular ones in the Decepticon ranks where, like, the leader, like, for example, Motomaster of the Stunticons, is so thoroughly loathed by all the others that their gestalt form doesn't actually follow orders. Like, it doesn't do what the head is telling it. They sort of react on instinct and are hard to control because... Yeah, nobody wants to listen to that guy because that guy sucks. Yeah. Where the headcanon comes in is it was a long conversation that I was having with these people about combiners and how it was meant to be. It was this experimental thing that was tried out. And the joke was, if you leave, if you leave two Decepticons alone in a room, you'll come back and one of them will be standing on the other's shoulders. It's a fact. Yeah. Because they're mad for it. They love combining. Yeah. There are far fewer Autobot combiners. And there's one in particular, which is Defensor, who is the Protectobots. Now, the Protectobots are a bunch of either like rescue or police vehicles. There's like a fire truck and like a police motorcycle and a police car and ambulance helicopter and then an ambulance. And so it takes all of the various personality traits of each of them. And the main one is Hotspot and he's a fire truck. He's a blue fire truck for no apparent reason. (laughs) And what the headcanon was, was that, okay, when they were setting up this form, that Defensor, who was the combined form, was actually like a childhood imaginary friend that Hotspot had and that Defensor looks a little bit like Optimus Prime because Optimus uh-huh. Prime is the hero that kids think of when they're a kid that it will save everyone. Yeah. And where it gets really interesting and where it like really like hit like a spark in my brain is that Defensor, unlike a lot of the other big Transformers, doesn't have guns. Defensor has a shield. Mm-hmm. He has a force field that nobody can break. So when you're thinking about, okay, for example, getting over potential loss of a friend or childhood trauma... Your superhero isn't going to have a gun. Your superhero is going to have a shield because no one gets hurt today. Yeah. And it just like snapped in my head and I'm like, I want someone to write this. I want someone to write it right now. (laughs) And they haven't touched on that in the comics, right? That was just like a headcanon. It's entirely headcanon. Just on the idea of this is this dangerous thing and it's based on the personalities of the people that come together. What combination would lead to here's a big defensive robot with a shield. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting very Steven Universe-y. I was just about to say, I just said S.H.I.E.L.D., and I'm like, three, two, what's Steven Universe? (laughs) I was like, I was trying not to. I was trying not to. I was like, I can't do it. I can't bring it up again, but it just happened. You want to know what's funny? I did actually try to sit down and watch Steven Universe because my partner, went when she was pregnant, went to Thailand to visit her sister. So I had like a week where I had nothing but time. And so I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to watch a few things that I've been putting off. And I'm like, I'm going to sit down and watch Steven Universe, except for it's not streaming anywhere. In Australia. It's on Hulu. Yeah, except for I'm in Australia. And about a year ago, Netflix and Hulu started blocking Australian VPNs. No. And so I lost my US Netflix and now I'm stuck with Australian Netflix. So I actually went and I even went through like, because our cable service is called Foxtel and they have an on-demand service in their DVRs. And I went to do it and they only had from season four onwards. Oh, that's garbage. And I'm just like, I I can't just step into season four. I might know a guy who knows a guy who knows a website. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He's not a cake mouse, but is in fact a pirate. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a few friends who have said, yes, I can get all of it to you in a completely reputable and entirely legal way. You're cool with that, right? Wink twice for yes. Yeah, no, it's weird. They like don't even put out freaking like DVDs of Steven Universe most of the time. I don't even think they have the first season on DVD yet. I don't know what's going on with Cartoon Network, but like it's bananas. But like season five of Steven Universe has been so freaking good. Oh my god. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just can't. It's so good. <laughs> Lucas, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> Although lately I've been, because there were a couple of like pop, they do pop-up channels every now and again where they'll be like, oh, you know, here are all the Predator movies. Here are all the Fast and Furious movies. And they did one on Westerns, like Clint Eastwood Westerns specifically. And I just hit yes, record all. And then like two months later, I now have a baby that needs to sit for like an hour and a half and be still. 
Right. While quiet noise that's not too crazy happens in the background. And so, yeah. like, weeknights, I'd get home, I take the baby, I sit down in a rocking chair, and we watch Clint Eastwood movies. Nice. It's kind of, for all of their, you know, bloody and violent and revengey, it's like, it's incredibly calming. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I was going to do the same thing because Dwayne McDuffie recently tweeted that all of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited is coming off of Netflix in like the second week of August. And that is maybe my favorite superhero show in any medium. And I'm like, right, I'm going to sit down with a kid and we're going to learn about how Wally West in the Justice League cartoon is the best Flash. <laughs> and I went to sit down and loaded up Netflix and searched Justice League. And it's like, here are some movies related to Justice League. And right. it comes up with oh, like Marvel Avengers, Earth Mightiest Heroes. And I'm just like, no, no, don't do oh, that. Like, oh, like the animated Marvel? Yeah. It's yeah. Like... It's, it's the one where they tried to do the Ultimates. And it's like, yeah. no, please yeah, don't yeah. do that. <laughs> Although I do like the interpretation of Thor that they had in that, which is he thinks he's Thor. Yeah. <laughs> and like, they never talk about whether or not he actually is Thor, but he just claims to be Thor and nobody believes him, which is, I think, a really cool way to do Thor when you don't have time to do Thor. Yeah. That was actually straight out of the Ultimate Comics that Mark Miller was writing, where oh, yeah. uh, he turns out and he's like an eco-terrorist. He's specifically yeah, yeah. like environmental and they like come to his place and he's like sitting around a campfire, like smashing some beers with some dudes and then like talking about the environment like every, you know, white bro with a, a, a Navajo blanket and some white dreads. And so yeah. he's, and then they bring him along and he can fight and stuff. And then, every, and then every once in a while he does something that's actually magical. And everyone yeah. goes, that was just like part of your powers, right? And he's like, well, what do you believe? Yeah. I, I'm not going to ask. I, I don't even want to yeah. know. That movie also did have one of my favorite introductions to Bruce Banner because he's giving a tour of like the Avengers HQ to like mm. a bunch of people and he's like telling about a bunch of stuff and then he says okay does anyone have any questions and then like all, all of the hands in the room go up and he says does anyone have any questions not about the Hulk and then all of the hands go down <laughs> so my favorite yeah. version of that gag is always all of them go down but one and then yeah. one just very slowly kind of half goes down and then all the yes. light goes down Yes, yes. <laughs> well, no, it's the thing. I forget where I heard the joke, but you can see most clearly in The Lion King with, like, the wildebeest stampede. Mm -hmm. You always have to have the one slow wildebeest at the end. Like, yeah, all of the other ones go by, and then a minute passes, and then the one wildebeest, like, <laughs> coming at the end. It, it always makes the joke better, so. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think. I think it was something in, in Futurama where there was, like, a swarm of cleaning robots or something, and there was one following behind that had, like, a little limpy tread, and it was just, like, oh, that yeah. little bit slower. Yeah, yeah. It's, yep. Yeah, fun times. Always makes it better. Any other fan fiction or any other uh, headcanon ideas you had? or? Well, it's less headcanon and more uh -huh. reading a bunch of fan fiction that then interpreted itself into the show. Because yeah. I was a member of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer message board, and I read a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction for good or for ill. Mostly yeah. for ill, because a lot of that stuff was not very good. But there was one in particular who was written by a lady named Valerie, who I recently found out passed away, which was very sad. Oh, really? Yeah. Far too young. She had written it where, okay, Buffy has just come back from heaven, and she's sort of shell-shocked. And she starts a relationship with Spike. And in the fan fiction, it becomes a thing of, all right, this is how Buffy gets back to normal and starts enjoying life again. It was stuff like Buffy goes to a convenience store and explains how the absolute wealth of choice of soft drinks is an amazing thing. And yeah. how you can look at all these things like I could have a ginseng tea with lemon. I could have a green tea. I could have a peach iced tea in an Arizona half liter can. I could have this. I could have a blue Gatorade if I wanted to. And yeah. like all of that and just being like this level of choice is something that's kind of amazing. And my favorite bit was that she's forced to drink like two giant cans of beer and then desperately have to pee and then have yeah. to hold it and then wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and then dash for the bathroom and make it just <laughs> in time. And that feeling of euphoria and reading that in text just like promoted this incredible like sympathy and empathy and just like right. sameness in my heart. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's a great feeling. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, life's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, see, in, in my head, that happened between a couple of season six episodes, and that made that season a lot better for me. Yeah, totally. Now, now I want to watch Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, there is Travis McElroy's show with his wife, Teresa, called The Kind Rewind. They've done all of season one Buffy, and it was a good time. Oh, cool. Are they doing it episode by episode? Or what? Uh, they're doing like two or three episodes at a time. Two or three at a time. And yeah. they're doing it like immediate things where it's like they'll introduce, they'll pause the episode, they'll go watch it and come straight back and just say what they thought. Cool, cool, cool. And yeah. they'll do that like two or three times in the episode so you always get a fresh take. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to want to check that out then, yeah. yeah. I was listening to Dusted for a while, which was another Buffy 
the podcast. It was made by the people that this, there's this series of podcasts called Story Wonk was done by a, a husband and wife. They do like in-depth analysis of stuff and like writing advice and stuff. And they're, they're really cool podcasts. The one that they were doing most recently was called We Can Do This All Day, which is about the MCU. Nice. It actually ended recently because I believe they got divorced. Oh, no. Um, and it just like stopped at a really odd spot in the middle of the MCU. And I was like, oh, I, this, this hole in my heart. I can't. I mean, I know you're divorced, so you'll probably have a bigger <laughs> hole in your heart. But like, I, I need my podcast to be finished. I know you're divorcing, but I have feelings too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, that's garbage. I'm a garbage person. All right. <laughs> I have seen that before, though, where, because the thing is when I, oh, by the way, also The Kind Rewind also did all of avatar the last airbender season one. Oh, oh awesome i was really worried because that yeah i hold that series in my heart in my deepest heart and yes, no one's yes. allowed to harm it and i'm like if this show i like goes in and like has a crack and like is really snarky about it i may have to stop listening to this show yeah yeah but luckily they loved it it's one of their favorite series and it was more an excuse for them to talk about what they loved which is great when it comes to like breakups and stuff i was researching avatar the last airbender podcast before i started my own which then died five episodes in one of them that i found like it's like okay it automatically downloads the most recent episode and it was like a 40 second thing saying there will be no further episodes of the podcast and i'm just like oh i'm coming at the end of a story aren't i (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what schism split them apart? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to new Angians and reform Zuconians. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I get that way about like any time I read anything or see anything about Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't. Like <laughs> I have very specific feelings about it and I know they're irrational and I can't do it. But like, yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's like there are certain especially I think with something like Power Rangers, which is clearly made to use a Chris Sims line, it's made for babies. Oh yes, yes. Little tiny kids are meant to be watching this. To use a gameable podcast line, it is made for fat babies. Which is the, how they describe the movie Hercules while they were talking about it, the Disney movie Hercules, it is that it is a movie for fat babies. So. <laughs> but the idea of, of taking that and applying like strict stringent kind of critical analysis something like that it's like there are ways to do it where it's fun and there are a lot of other ways to do it that are just like it's like you know don't don't kick the baby over the baby's trying to build a sandcastle don't sit there and go your flying buttresses are bullshit yeah yeah i saw the um live action power rangers movie because i had to even though i knew it wasn't going to be good (laughs) it wasn't good and yeah like i've read some like positive reviews of it actually and those make me mad because i'm like you don't get it but then i know it's dumb to be doing that but i can't stop myself i just have to do it because like it just i i have such i have such strong feelings about it speaking this is going to tie it all together a little bit one of my like headcanon things about power rangers that i came up with because i used to write power rangers fan fiction of course you did yeah because you do original mighty morphin or rpm or oh yeah was it? yeah yeah M- mostly original mighty morphin stuff okay. but so there's a bunch of aliens that are the bad guys and there's rita and she just looks like a normal human Mm -hmm. and she's not an alien she has the green power ranger coin for some reason and there have been other power ranger teams in the past and we've established that one of the big tricks that the bad guys have in power rangers that they use all the time is curses and mind control to take over people's minds yeah rita also has a brother named rito who's a skeleton man (laughs) an army skeleton i don't know army skeleton and she has a dad named Master Vile, who's a weird alien dude. And she looks like a human. So my theory is that she was the original Green Ranger, and she got mind-controlled by Master Vile into thinking she was an alien. But part of this, like, mind-control thing disconnected her from her power coin in a way, and she couldn't morph anymore. But she learned, like, magic from the aliens. But they still have the power coin, and she eventually gave it to somebody else, like, in a cursed form. I wrote a story about that, and they had a thing in the movie about Rita being the the original Green Ranger in the, like, live-action Power Rangers movie. Mm-hmm. But they didn't even do it as a reveal. Like, it starts off at the beginning, and the first scene is, like, that. And, like, it's just, like, established as a part of the background that Rita used to be the Green Ranger. And, like, it's not a reveal. Like, why is that not the twist at the end and i bet if you sat up in there and you went motherfucker <laughs> yeah i did because it was sort of thing too it's like it was like not even made for power rangers fans it felt like you know what i mean because mm-hmm. it's like if you're making it for a fan then you give them a twist that's like for instance the movie the dark knight rises did a really cool thing with it would do stuff that would if you know the comics you expect it to go a certain way and then it actually uses your knowledge against you so that you can't see a twist coming because it takes it in a different direction. Yeah. Like they did the whole thing of that Bane came from that prison mm-hmm. and there was the one prisoner who escaped and you think it's Bane. Because of the comics, 
it is Bane. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, it's Talia al Ghul. And you don't even know that, like, Talia al Ghul's in the movie until, like, you know, towards the end, and then it, it gets revealed. And so if you're a comic book fan, then you can't see the twist coming because you think they're going to do it the way they do in the comic books. And that's how you do a thing mm-hmm. where you are telling a story about something and then you put a twist in. Yeah, in wrestling parlance, it's a swerve. So it's... A swerve. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where because of your knowledge of the medium... Right. You're aware of how this story should play out. Right. And a swerve takes those expectations, not the regular fan expectations of this is a story, but the knowledge of the medium and the expectations of that, and then twists that in a way that it's not just playing on the expectations of someone watching it as a story, but the expectations of someone who stepped back and looking, okay, well, they've set it up this way, so this has to be the payoff. Right, right, all right, yeah. That was like, anyway, I didn't think I was going to get to my rant about the Power Rangers movie, but you've been privy to that now. But well, I have other rants about the Power Rangers movie. That is just the first one, <laughs> but I will not, I will spare you the rest. Are you caught up on Adventure Zone? I'm not, sorry. Why? Okay. Well, no, there was one thing where I was going to say that I have a Twitter group of like four or five other people who watch it with me. Oh, cool. And we always discuss like in a little spoiler group. I swear like a day before, and I won't say the thing because you're not caught up. I asked a question because I've been re-listening to from the beginning all the Adventure Zone episodes. In the group, something came to me and I said, hey, does anyone ever wonder why in this small situation this thing happened and this other thing didn't happen? Right. And I think it was Annie Creighton, who's one of the members, said, oh, I think it might be because of X, Y, Z. And I went, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, well, we'll see. And it was nothing plot specific, like nothing at all. Yeah. And then the very next episode, the fact that XYZ happened became incredibly important because then X and Y got together and then Z happened. And so it was like, like I was like staring at my phone. I was literally talking about this yesterday. Yes, yes. Always fun when that happens. And yeah, it happened again in the finale where it's like literally the morning of when the second part two of the finale came out, like on Thursday. And just before it came out, I had re-listened to everything, and I had gotten up to it. And I'm like, there was a moment, like, four episodes before the finale. I'm like, this thing happened? I'm like, that's kind of weird. They didn't really answer, like, what yeah. that actually was. <laughs> huh. You know, I wonder if that's going to be important. Oh, oh I bet right. it'll be this guy. It's probably going to be this guy. Right. And then the minute the second part of the finale starts, they replay that bit from the earlier episode in the previously on. Yeah. And I kind of stifled a scream with my hand. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> It always bothers me, though in any media where they kill a reveal with a previously on. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't watch previously ons because I'm like, oh, I guess that character's coming back because I haven't seen them in two seasons and they're in the previously on. <laughs> so like, that does bother me when they spoil the reveal with the previously on thingy. But yeah, but awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, so always, yes, always good when that happens. It's one of those things where, and the thing is, as a longtime reader of things like The Wheel of Time, where there were like uh-huh. huge discussion groups of, oh, well, who is this character really? And who was responsible for this murder? And what's the plot of this character? Oh, you can work out a murder mystery based upon the evidence that's given to you in an earlier book. And I remember reading those forums and just being like, none of this shit has ever occurred to me. Yeah. I was giving such a straightforward reading of these books that later when someone goes, oh, well, it's obvious if you look at it. And then everyone else going, yeah, yeah, it was totally obvious. And me going, yes, I I like mysteries. And so for once with the Adventure Zone, having not one, but two things that I pulled up be relevant within a day of me pulling them up. I was just like, I feel like I've suddenly been granted superpowers. (laughs) (laughs) If you're into that kind of thing, seriously, like that is everything about Steven Universe. Like (laughs) in terms of like, well, what does this mean? Well, what does that mean? Well, who is this character? Well, what is that really? Well, what's this mean? Like, you know, like they do that. And they like, you know, I talked about in my last episode, I talked about the idea of negative capability. Like there's just all these open-ended questions. And in each episode, you get one drop. It's just like, (laughs) from the faucet of like explanation of what's going on in the story and you're like boop and then you're like wait but what does that mean boop and then it's just, that's like the whole experience of watching the show it's that bit from fury road where you're running up with your pots trying to catch the water before it turns yes off. indeed indeed and when they do that that's like when it's a season finale like you know they like fling it open and then it all comes down and everybody's like give us the answers and then they turn it off again and you're like no i didn't get any also four of us were crushed by the weight of the answers landing but it's okay yes yes <laughs> All right, Colin. So if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? You can listen to Smash Fiction. It's on like all podcatcher things, iTunes, whatever. Search for Smash Fiction. You can also check me out on Twitter at Colin Mulcairin or send me an email, colinmulcairin at gmail.com. I have another appearance on a podcast that I'm quite fond of. I was on the Gameable podcast, which is a podcast where they watch a thing and then they talk about how you would adapt it into a tabletop role-playing game. I was on the episode about Digimon and it's one of my favorite things that I've done. So check it out. And if you're in Tucson, then you can come watch me do roller derby. (laughs) 
Or come to my karaoke shows. So yeah. Do you have a cool roller derby name? Oh, of course I do. F. Mary Kill. <laughs> That's dumb and brilliant. I love it. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's pretty great. <sighs> One of my favorites is there's an Australian roller derby star who goes by Olivia Neutron Bomb. Oh, yep. I don't yep. That, that's good, <laughs> good. But I bet there are lots of those around. Ev Murray Kill is great. I'm the only one of those that I've found. Although, I do know a Mila Chokovic, <laughs> who discovered that there was already a Mila Chokovic, so she had to become Helena Bonham Slaughter instead. So. That's good. That's good. But yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's no Mila Chokovic. So. <laughs> and what could be? All right, Colin. Well, thanks very much for coming back on the show. This has been great. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Just Thank you very much to Colin Mulcairn for his time. As stated in the episode, I've been tasked to create a cocktail that can be made with similar ingredients to Colin's original cocktail, the Crystal Jam, which, as listeners will remember, involved blue curacao, tequila, peach schnapps, simple syrup, and lime juice. Colin's very lucky in that this is a combination that you can use with pretty much anything. So in my headcanon for this scenario, we've run out of tequila, and it's stinking hot, so everyone needs a blender drink. And luckily, we have just enough ice for the occasion. And so I present the Apu Apu. In a blender, combine one ounce of spiced rum, half a shot of peach schnapps, one and a half shots of pineapple juice, half a shot of simple syrup, three quarters of a shot of fresh squeezed lime juice, 10 mint leaves, and six ice cubes. Blend until combined, and then pour into a cocktail glass. Dot the top of the drink with four drops of blue curacao. And as I was coming up with this recipe right at the end before I recorded, I realized that Colin said in his initial email, no cherries, no olives, and no mint. I presume he meant like on top of the cocktail as a garnish, because blended in the mint's okay. But if you wanted to, you could also serve this as an up drink, shaken with ice with no mint. Now there are many, many tiki drinks that are named the Apu Apu. And there are many primary and secondary and tertiary and god knows what else sources that will tell you what the name actually means. The one I liked best said that Apu Apu means to rock, like a boat on rough sea. Or like a bookshelf that you're trying to move across the room, but you don't want to pick up entirely. That's literally the definition. Don't add me. Anyway, it's a refreshing drink that you can throw together and say, Oh this? It's just some things I had lying around. Enjoy! The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash Lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. You can also pledge as much as you want. I say it every week, but I'm serious. You guys can give as much money as you want. You there, in Nebraska. I'm looking at you. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can head on over to iTunes in the country of your choice and leave us a five-star rating and write a review. Also, everyone, if you've been writing these reviews or leaving ratings in countries other than the U.S. or Australia, let me know, because I often don't look at those other countries because you have to actually physically change the URL in the iTunes store to see them. And so if I don't know what the URL is for 
well, I was going to say like Japan or France or something, but I know that France is FR and Japan is JP, but you know what I mean. Just let me know, drop me an email, and I'll check it out. If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can head on over to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to check out a Spotify playlist that I update every single week with every bit of music I've ever used on the show, going all the way back to episode one. I just checked. That's ten hours of music, including this one. It's Good For Nothing by Hard Five. I add the songs for the new episode the same day the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Next week, my guest will be Mackenzie Weaver, co-host of the Gem Jam and I Will Fight You, and the windows are going to get a little bit steamy because we're going to be talking about romance novels. And just before we wrap up, I know not everyone listens to the end of the episodes of The Back Matter, but this is one that I particularly like, and I'd like it if you listen to. Join me, won't you? Take a long, hard look at yourself You're just a I'm way more nervous about this one than I am about the last one. <laughs> Did you end up doing any research? I wrote out a list of some potential topics and stuff, but it's just like there's less of a roadmap, but I've never done a podcast without a plan before. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing here, and I'm afraid. <laughs> You're in uncharted territory. Yes, indeed. Also, you'll notice my voice has a particular burn growl to it, because I was out until 1 a.m. at a local wrestling show. Oh, cool. And I may have screamed my lungs out. Oh, fun. Witnessing the great wrestling match I've literally ever seen. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Although my favorite thing was was after a big battle row where a whole bunch of young wrestlers come out to earn their paycheck. Four of them came out in white luchador masks. Uh And on that luchador mask, as part of the design, were like a design that evoked a wireless microphone, like, you know, Britney Spears or someone would wear. And they came out singing a flamenco in Spanish version of You Don't Know You're Beautiful by One Direction. Uh And so they came out clapping with the wireless mics on their, their masks. And they were announced as... One Direction. That's pretty. That's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of amazing. That's that's pretty uh, great. Uh, yeah. There's a wrestler named Shinsuke Nakamura whose tagline is that he's the king of strong style, mm-hmm. and so their shirts have the same font as Shinsuke Nakamura's, but it says Kings of Song Style mm. One Direction, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I bought that shirt. <laughs> is there a thriving luchador scene in Australia that I was not aware of? <laughs> You'd be shocked, actually, because yeah. there's a, a group called Lucha Fantastica mm-hmm. that does like a a very old timey kind of show with very very silly characters like you know an unfrozen caveman and a 1920s strongman and a literal cupid with like suction cup arrows and a little bow (laughs) this sounds pretty great like most of the wrestling i like see what i like about wrestling is the crazy and i've played a lot of wrestling video games in my day and i've been to a couple wrestling shows in person i've watched a little on tv but like i want it to just all be the bonkers all the time <laughs> the closest i've gotten is miles makes me watch that one sometimes my the other co-host from a smash fiction the um lucha underground i was trying to find the name yeah 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 lucha underground is fun right which which i it like involves because the it's throne like, of skulls it's 80 percent of the way towards just being mortal combat <laughs> which yeah. is pretty great you want to get fun yeah. you want to get real crazy you got to get into Chikara. Chikara? Yeah, that, that's the Japanese yeah. one, right? No, no, Chikara is, it, well, the name is Japanese. It's an American promotion run by a guy named Mike Quackenbush, which is an amazing name, so think on that for a minute. Okay. <laughs> his, yeah, his, his full title is Lightning Mike Quackenbush. I picture a duck hiding in, like, some shrubbery. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Specifically, its whole thing is that it's, the rule is it must be fun. Everyone should be having fun. Wrestling is fun. Cool. And... So they'll do things like they have a team called Los Ice Creams, who are anthropomorphic ice cream cones. And they have, they had an ongoing storyline where, oh God, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the move, where it's one move is something that's like a, a pun on Back to the Future. And so a guy was hit by this move and then teleported to four years in the future and suddenly appeared out from under the ring at a future show and stole a sports almanac from a fan and came back and had the sports almanac and then four years later they paid off that gag oh my god that's so good oh. it's like it's that level of crazy wow. that's that's, that's pretty like, their number one good guy is dasher hatfield who used to be in a tag team with mr touchdown about fair play and sportsmanship all right <laughs> and he's an anthropomorphic baseball that has a handlebar mustache molded into his mask it's pretty great yeah all right you, you have sold me you have sold me <laughs> yeah wrestling's great <laughs> Blink Federation made entire oh 
Damn it, I didn't silence my phone. <laughs> Let me... That was a really cool ringtone, by the way. <laughs> it was one of the pre-programmed sounds, and it sounds like the sound it makes when someone jumps in anime is, <laughs> is what I thought of. It's like that little, you know, like when they're like are jumping from like light post to light post, and it, goes, it yeah. just like little... <laughs> Sound, yeah, so. I thought it sounded like when someone like pulls out a sword on Power Rangers. Oh, that as well. That as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, wrestling video games got me back into wrestling because I mean, I used to watch it when I was a kid, and I would have periods where I would just go off it because I didn't like the product or I got too busy or whatever. My friend Mark had a PlayStation, a modded PlayStation that would play burned games, and so he had SmackDown 2 Know Your Role, mm -hmm. and yeah, we got super into the character creation stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Made our own, and in the story mode, you'd have like you'd always have a cutscene where like you know a rando would be like, "Hey, wait, I need to speak with you, character name," and that would be like a lead into, "Oh, they're gonna double cross you because they're talking to someone else," but thing is the character name for the rock is the rock uh -huh. so you'd see someone come up and go wait i need to speak with you the rock <laughs> yes so it's like the cheat if you know yeah. if you know your home star runner yeah. oh i do know my home star runner yeah. <laughs> my friend annie actually last week sent me a thing which was one of those like workplace accident calendars mm -hmm. and it was a number of days since a home star runner reference was made oh and it was at zero <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I mean, I just realized in one of the, because I just re-listened to all of the Adventure Zone, uh -huh. I realized in one of their sort of middle episodes, <laughs> they make a dangerous joke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, looks like I'm going to have to jump out of this window. <laughs> and for the rest of the day, yeah. I'm walking around my office, and I'm like, he fights the law, but he also fights the crime, but not as much yes. dangerous. <laughs> So one of the side products that we do on Smash Fiction is called Extraordinary League. Extraordinary yeah. League, yes. And so, uh, I, I listened to the show, Colin. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, you might fall off. You might like, all right, I'll listen to one because this guy's going to be a guest. But like, we did a, a bonus episode recently. We do like a once a month bonus content something. It's like a Patreon thing. Um, and we came up with a big list of characters that each one of us wanted to play. And we had the patrons vote and the winning mm. characters we played in a bonus episode. One of the people in our team played the cheat excellent so yes cheat commandos i was alphaba from wicked <laughs> and then we also had yep a brock samson Ooh. sir didymus from labyrinth jack bauer from 24 and the cheat <laughs> <laughs> that was the team you think that the combination of <laughs> brock samson and the cheat would be like game-breakingly powerful yeah 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 it turned out quite well and there were you know home star references aplenty so Oh, and I listened to the episode where Hub from Titan of the Defense oh, yeah. was on Smash Fiction. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He was so good, wasn't he? <laughs> like, exceptionally good. I know. He... Like, I told him afterwards, and I was just like, yeah, they, they should, like, you know, have you in a plane and drop you in as the nuclear option. I know, seriously. Like, <laughs> oh, especially with all the comic book stuff, because I've, I've done some comic book matches before, and it's so hard to research all that stuff. Like, you really just need somebody who knows the character and who's been reading it for years who can, like, rattle it off and go deep. There are some things you just can't cram on for, like, being on that podcast, and comic book characters is one of the ones you really can't cram on. So, like... Because there's just so much, especially with something like Namor, who's been around since, like, the 40s. Yeah, seriously. Oh, I, I heard his episode of your thing, by the way, so now it's... Um... Oh, thank you. So that's one of the few podcasts that we've done where, like, the little three-legged stool is complete. Like, we have all <laughs> been on each other's now, so. Reciprocal podcast action. Reciprocal podcast action, yes. The circle of life. Just before we get started. Oh, we're not started? Okay, cool. <laughs> oh, no, this is all before the show. Okay. This is all back matter. Have your pronouns changed? No, I don't think so. That's the whole, I don't know, man. It's... It's weird. Like, there's, like, different spheres of my life. Like, I have two jobs right now. I deliver pizza, and I host karaoke. And I've switched over <laughs> at one of my jobs. <laughs> nice. I switched over at the karaoke job, because they don't give a shit. Like... I was gonna say, if you're gonna say I switched over the pizza, I was gonna be very disappointed. Right, right, all right. <laughs> but, like, it's... I didn't switch over on pizza delivery thing, because, like, I'm delivering shit to, like, dark, sketchy neighborhoods in the middle of the night. And, mm -hmm. you know, about all the sorts of issues with violence against trans women and people getting harassed and shit and i'm like if i was like working in a store it would be one thing but i'm like by myself like behind enemy lines yeah, and yeah. stuff so 
And I haven't switched over on Smash Fiction because it's just it's just weird and I like it's the sort of thing you just kind of put off week after week and it's like you never know when the good time is because it's not really a podcast about us. It's not as freeform. I was going to say like yeah, you, you, men- you mentioned that kind of when we were on. And oh it yeah, was just like it's kind of a different venue. Yeah, there's not really a lot of freeform conversation that happens in it. We just had the anniversary episode that we recorded, so maybe that would have been a good time. <laughs> but whatever, I just I just don't think about these things. I guess we'll stick with Colin and he for now. Otherwise, I'm gonna have I'd have to like. I don't know. It's it's a whole thing. I like put on a more masculine voice when I'm in dude mode and I put on a more feminine voice when I'm in like lady mode and stuff. So I'm already starting off in my this mode. So whatever. It's I don't know. Yeah, that's, it's gender's weird. Honestly, it's whatever makes you comfortable. Yeah. And but I got to say that throne of skulls picture. Oh, yes. Fucking amazing. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. If anyone wants to check out my Twitter at Colin Mulcairn, there was a hashtag that was going around the other day, which was hashtag LGBT babes. And people were just posting like flattering selfies of themselves who were like LGBT and I posted a lot of selfies of myself recently and one of them was taken in Bisbee Arizona at like a weird thrift shop and they had this giant throne like made of skulls with a cow skull on top and I was like I have to sit in this throne and like look like I'm some sort of post-apocalyptic overlord that kind of thing and so I did then it was really sad because in the next thrift shop I found this giant obsidian goblet and and I was like oh I should have been holding that in the picture but i didn't want to like impose upon my friends and like i have to buy this cup and then go back to the other thrift shop and then sit in the throne with the bones and, like, and go past the person at the counter and go hi it's us again yeah i i know uh, we're, okay. we're not gonna buy anything again but i want to take another picture in your throne of skulls like i, I, I have props I, I've prepared a two-minute scene. Yes, yeah. No, it was, a, it was a fun trip, actually. I went with my roller derby team, because another mm. thing in my life, I've started doing roller derby for the past couple of months, which was really fun. Mm. So, yeah, it was like an all-girl team, and I just started off doing it for a couple of months, and I was like, oh, I guess I never heard the word trans mentioned, and nobody brought it up. I was like, I guess these people are just all cool and accepting or whatever. And then I was talking to some of the people in it about, I, like, mentioned being trans or something, and then the two chicks I was talking to were like, what? And like, they're like, you're, and apparently I was passing for like the first two months until I brought it up. And that was just like a huge boost to the self-confidence. I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'm just killing it. Like just casually crushing it. I just casually crushing it like I do. So yeah.